With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. What is going on, Bet Sports fam? It's your favorite history teacher, Mr. Parker Answerth, here in another edition of FN Sports, the podcast for teachers grade sports, biggest issues. And I got to be honest, tonight it looks like we're going to do another Gold Stars and Detentions episode, full episode of Gold Stars and Detentions because it went over so well last week, gave us a chance to hit on a lot of different topics. And I think that's the kind of thing we may come out with weekend or Monday morning episode after the weekend more often. Seems like I've got a lot of good traction out of that. So we could be able to do more fun stuff throughout the week if we do a full Gold Star Intention episode every Monday. So let's see how this goes. Let's do another one. Ready, set, go. First Gold Star, as much as it pains me to say it, is going to go to the Oklahoma softball team because they put up 20 runs and a 20 nothing win over AM. Now that last part, I have to say as a Longhorns fan, I do like, but we got to give some props to Oklahoma Sooner softball team. 20 to nothing means they had the largest win in softball tournament history. That's not the largest win in softball history or college softball history, but the largest win in the tournament's history in the Super Regional over the weekend. It should be noted that the Oklahoma Sooners put up 20 home run, or 20 runs, I should say, on just 12 hits. The Aggies also walked four batters and had four errors of their own. If you put that all together, that means all 20 of those people scored. Now, it didn't quite work out that nice and easy, but it was a big, big day for the Sooners. Jocelyn Alo and Alyssa Brito both went 3-4-3 three three in the contest and scored three runs apiece. Big, big day for the Sooners. Got to shout that out, even as much as it pains me to give credit to the Sooners. Should be mentioned that the Sooners are the top seed overall and the best team in college softball all year long. They won three more games than anyone else. But I think the big marker that's interesting heading into the tournament was not just the games won and lost, but the total runs scored. 
The Sooners have 50 more runs than the second place team in college softball, and the numbers obviously continue to trick it on after that. The Oklahoma Sooners have dominated college softball this year, and if you're looking for dynasties or dynasties or your thing, Oklahoma is kind of in the middle one, so make sure you pay attention to the college softball World Series. It's going to be a fun time if dynasties are your thing, and if not, I guess you should flip over to the college baseball World Series because, frankly, that seems to be as big a crapshoot as it always is every single year. Our first attention is really going to be a couple of detentions. It's going to go to Nick Saban, Jimbo Fisher, a little bit of Dion, but honestly, I kind of like where Dion stands. Those things. Anyway, let's break down what is going on here. So if you were under a rock and did not hear, Nick Saban made some fairly inflammatory comments surrounding the Texas A&M football program and how they got the number one recruiting class in college football based on consensus reports across ESPN, Rivals, the whole nine. And while we could break down the A&M class, that was the most historic class and highest rated class of all time for A&M and all that kind of stuff, what Saban's really getting at here is that the NIL rules are creating a wild, wild west of sorts in which A&M benefited the most from. Because there's not a whole lot of rules and regulation and conferences are kind of left to determine things, the SEC is kind of let all things go, it looks like A&M had a bunch of backlogging channels and such that led to them spending money on players. And as Saban alluded, coaches are allowed to work with these NIL programs and help broker that relationship in the way that you know maybe not have been the original intention now it should be mentioned schools are still not paying players schools boosters are much in the under the table way that they had always been they're just doing it now over the table for various things like the university of miami had like a gym near campus that basically paid a bunch of players at the university of miami to come work out at it it was a blanket deal for anyone in the u of miami to come work out and be like a influencer or a spokesperson for this gym and then they just like be present working out at the gym which college football players already do and then they get paid to do it and it was a kind of a quasi way to get paid to play football because you're doing a thing that football players always have to do and had a number of different deals that did span across either big position groups or offense defense etc and did lead to presumably helping their recruiting but here's the deal where Saban loses everyone is when he says Alabama did not engage in those kinds of things or Alabama did not pay players so we're saving against this attention is that's just demonstrably false he mentioned in the speech that he knows of over three million dollars handed to his players last season now i understand that he may not have known that ahead of time but he's been very very public about those kinds of things in an effort to try and help his own recruiting classes most notably obviously before bryce young stepped on the football field Nick Saban was out front in the open telling people how his quarterback at Alabama that had not stepped on the football field was going to be earning over a million dollars through various NIL deals. Now, I guess Saban might have said, no, I don't like it, huh, whatever, but that has to help with recruiting because you're telling every kid and their mama that if they come to Alabama and play for you, they can get a million dollars before they set foot on the field. That is as strong a recruiting maneuver as any. That is exactly the kind of thing that Fisher and AM or bluntly my Texas Longhorns or USC or Oklahoma or Ohio State or any of these power programs are doing. The power programs have all the money and that's what they're doing. And so if you want to act like, well, their coach held brokered or whatever, well, guess what? You were helping the exact same thing by alluding to all these recruits that your guys were getting paid without even having to play. That's the same exact thing. While you may not be brokering the deals in the same way that Saban tries to elude that Fisher or any other Power 5 coach would be doing, what you are doing is opening up that relationship to your recruits. You are explicitly advertising that relationship to recruits. And that's really only marginally different. And I would add, it's not different enough to warrant being this upset about it, especially when you've dominated college football for more than a decade. No one's going to feel bad for you for having the second best recruiting class once the playing field is relatively leveled and everyone can start to compete in the same ways. But the second detention in this spiel 
goes to Jimbo Fisher for his rebuttal back to Nick Saban. Now, I have to say, and I've said this a couple times on different platforms, but I do appreciate Jimbo Fisher going after Nick Saban. Nick Saban does have this deity aura around him, and that someone had stones that it took to go after him makes me feel way more comfortable where college football is at. Second, I think it's worth pointing out that these are guys that have to play each other once a year, whereas you might have seen Lincoln Riley at USC. That's that's weird to say, Lincoln Riley at USC. That was weird to say. But anyway, you might have Lincoln Riley at USC come after Nick Saban because the reality is he will not have to play Nick Saban for a very long time at best. They're not in the same conference. and don't play each other before the season, uh, conference season starts. And likelihood of them playing each other in the college football playoff would require both teams having really, really good years. I just don't see USC having it. My Texas Longhorns, for example, I guess, do play Alabama in the very near future in the pre-conference season. But they're also moving the SEC fairly soon. But if you had like an Oklahoma State or a Florida State or someone that Alabama doesn't see all that often, it might be a little bit more comfortable. AM plays these guys every year. And Jimbo Fisher just ruthlessly put chalkboard material, the bulletin board type stuff that Saban loves to hang his hat on, put it out there in the open. But what he did is he stood up for his guys. And that part is not detention worthy. I appreciate the courage in that. And I appreciate the stones it took to do that. What he gets attention for is how he did it. It sounded like a four-year-old. It sounded like some six-year-old kid that did not like someone saying the way things are. He pushes the buck and tries to make it like Saban is talking about the kids when Saban was very clearly talking a lot more about Fisher and the program and the boosters. So he kind of misses the mark there. He also tries to deflect and push blame and make Saban out to be a making a different argument than he actually made. So that's one detention element. The second thing is he clearly had a number of insults like in his back pocket he was really throw out there about Nick Saban and just try to get all the czar, the this, the that, all those different things out about him. Called him narcissist in a several different ways. And I say, while I appreciate going after what Saban said and saying, like, we'll see you on the field and those kinds of things, the personal attacks for, like, all college football head coaches are narcissists. We get that, right? Like, all of these guys that run are CEOs of different organizations and run these teams, they're all narcissists. They do very little actual excess nose coaching, do a lot more of the rah-rah kind of stuff. The overall job of a college head football coach at these Power 5 programs, these big, strong programs, is to be running the machine. Your job is to run the machine, and they are thus all narcissists. Because the machine is about them. The machine, they're the ones that last more than the four years of kids in college, right? The kids come and go, and frankly, the transfer portal, they come and go even more often. But the coaches stay. They become the brand. They frankly get the sneaker deals. They frankly get the $10 million contract from the school. They frankly are the highest paid employee in most states by the government. And that is a level of narcissism and self-importance and whatever, because truthfully, all they're doing is keeping the thing running. That's all they're doing, right? So there's a level of narcissism amongst all these guys and all these things. Saban's program has just run the best for, again, a decade plus at this point, right? So that's certainly part of it that I don't quite think is fair criticism specific to Saban. I guess you could have said we are all narcissists, and that would have been a little bit different, or said blank Saban, most college football coaches are, or, or people that are critical of, or whatever, I guess. But at the end of the day, playing that only on Saban doesn't quite bode well. The other thing I think that earns attention out of Fisher here is that he did exactly what Saban's talking about. They obviously did help broker these relationships and connect people and so on. And he tries to make it like, well, we didn't do anything illegal. No, 
pump up the fact that you just did this to support your kids. You made a bunch of kids a lot of money by working your connections at A&M University. And you know what? You got to say, and we're damn proud of it. You can do that in College Station. I should point out that very clearly someone important thinks you can't do that in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. I'd point out if you can do it in College Station, Texas, you can probably also do it in Austin, Texas, but that's not my point. What my point is is that there is missing the point there out of Fisher, right? My point is that Fisher's missing the point. Did I lose it? No, I think I lost people. Anyway, my point is that Fisher's missing the point here. The point should be, yes, we did that. Yes, we did, and we're proud of it because it's not against the rules, and here's exactly what we did. Not just say we didn't break any rules and Saban's an awful person. No, Saban's a great person. He just gave you a great marketing strategy. Come to AM, you get paid more. That should be on the t shirts. Flipping to the NBA now, we're going to give my man Jalen Green a gold star for what might be the best tweet ever tweeted after winning an NBA award. I didn't know there's probably, what, like 15 years of tweets eligible for that commentary, but I think it's the best tweet ever tweeted after winning an award. Jalen Green was named to the first team all rookie NBA team by the NBA and basketball writers across the country. That meant that he Cade Cunningham, Scotty Barnes, Evan Mobley, and Franz Wagner all made first-team All-Rookie. That meant that one Herb Jones, who Bill Simmons famously said he'd vote for ahead of Jalen Green, and then followed up with a bleep Jalen Green, did not make first-team All-Rookie. You'll remember that quote was also brought up by Joel Embiid when talking about who gets to vote for MVP awards and saying, how could you have people with these kinds of biases voting for awards? You remember that quote was also brought up in Draymond Green's Instagram story when he said, how can you have people like this with these kinds of grudges voting on awards? Anyway, Jalen Green gets the last lap and decided to cleverly tweet out, shout out Bill Simmons, my dog for real prayer emoji. How great a tweet is that? The tweet itself is simple. It's like, I love my haters, bring on the hate, and I just got what I wanted. Now, Bill Simmons tried to follow up and cover his tracks with congrats. I'm still reading for you. Don't let the fake news air graders ruin it for us. I just like 2022. Herb Jones, more for my first team, which was the whole point of the joke. Excited to see what's in store for your second year, comma, good luck. Now, Bill Simmons is backtracking because A, he's wrong. B, guys that watched Jalen Green all year when he clearly didn't. Because why would you watch the Rockets all year? They weren't very good. But he did not watch the Rockets all year, and so he thus did not pick this. I, I think that what's interesting here is that Jalen Green is taking the high road and the fun road and also able to put this little twist on the dagger in his tweet. Right, It's a nice little combination of the salt and the sugar that you like out of your athletes. But at just 20 years old, Jalen Green is already firing back at haters like legendary Bill Simmons, and I think it's really, really fun to see that play out. Now, other people say, you're just doing this because it's Jalen No, I think Jalen Green objectively had the better season. Now, am I putting a value on offense that is not getting put on defense? Sure, I think defense is also a team statistic and a team effort, and while Herb Jones did great things as an individual defender, it was also part of a Pelicans defense that worked much better post-All-Star break. You know what individually happened post-All-Star break? Jalen Green was going for 30. He went for 36 games in a row. He got the season up with a 40-point bomb. He, again, really, really found his switch in the second half of the season. Really, if you go back to a couple weeks before the All-Star break, when he was getting more than 25 points a night, you can watch those Jazz games, those Nets games, etc. from then on, and he really, really, really did turn it on. When you factor in the fact that he missed a month early in the season to heal a hamstring, and then he came back from the hamstring injury, worked his way back in the lineup, and then turned this thing on, it's. I think you have to, like, Play, account for the games that you saw get played and think that that's how he played this season and don't hold the fact that he got hurt 
early in the season against him. That doesn't seem fair either. He didn't miss the whole season hurt. He didn't miss months and months and months hurt. He missed four and a half weeks, right, I guess, of total games. And that is understandable. He came back and played at not 100% and worked his way back up to health. And then as soon as he hit that health, took off, right? That's what's important to me. I put the value in offense. I also think I put the value in offense because I remember watching guys like Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan and all those guys who were tremendous defenders in the late 90s, early 2000s. What they also always did was prove time and time again, you can play perfect defense, but if I'm better at offense, I'm winning because I'm still going to get this shut off and it's still going to go in no matter how good you are at defense because I'm better than you. So yes, Jalen Green had the better rookie year because the offense, if you're all things being equal, the offense will win that matchup. Yes, that means you have to work on defense. Even super important because you have to have better defense than the other guy's offense. However, these things were much, much closer to equal, if not in Jalen's favor, than other people would allow you to believe. And again, when super, super tight like that, Kobe, Jordan, Bird, Magic, Kareem, those guys always prove the shot goes in. Props Jalen Green for both the recognition and the tweet that made us all chuckle afterwards our next attention is going to go to josh donaldson of the new york yankees now my old co-host was a yankees guy but i even think he would be quick to give attention out on this one donaldson in a game between the white Sox and yankees the other day when donaldson apparently in early part of the game it sounds like talked to tim anderson of the chicago white Sox and called him jackie robinson now i guess Donaldson tried to defend himself by saying that he'd seen in some article that uh, Tim Anderson had called himself that. But regardless, the comment coming from a white player on a different team was certainly not well received. So much that it led to an escalation of events as the game went on. Eventually, Donaldson was confronted by White Sox catcher as he stepped into the batter's box, leading to a benches clearing type of altercation. Now, there weren't a whole lot of punches thrown guys tossed in the game, but I will say that in the post game, we find out that. Anderson was called Jackie Robinson by Donaldson. I have to say that uh, the somber tone here is because there's not a lot of funny here, right? At the end of the day, Tim Anderson may have referenced some of the aspects of what he brings to baseball in a similar vein, but calling a black baseball, an American black baseball player at that, Jackie Robinson, is just not a thing we're going to do in pro baseball, especially as a white player in baseball where baseball has been at its doors open to white players for so long. The other thing I'll say is is that a lot of people in New York, the Yankees Twitter and on Twitter in general and sports fans across the board and so on are trying to say, well, what's the big deal? Why do you say that was so bad? Uh, Tim Anderson called and that's not how this goes. At the end of the day, Tim Anderson said the comment was offensive. You don't get to say that what you said was not offensive. You said it to someone or about someone, and they get to tell you how it landed. If I step on your toe and you say, ouch, I don't get to say that didn't hurt. That's me stepping on your toe as I'm walking. Even if it's accidental, whatever. If I kick you in the shin, I don't get to tell you it wasn't that hard to tap, right? If I'm going down the hallway with the cart or whatever and bumping into you, I don't get to tell you how hard I did or did not bump into you. You're the person the receiving end of those physical blows. This is the same kind of thing. If the person the receiving end says, you crossed a line, you went too far, that was offensive, then guess what? You offended that person. You don't get to say anything else about it. You did it. Now you can retroactively go back and talk about apologizing and this and that and do all these things to try and mend the situation, but you can't change it. Toothpaste out the tube at that point. You did it. So, detention to Josh Donaldson for doing it. We're going to give a gold star to Steph Curry for finishing his degree 
degree. It was reported last week that after finishing a thesis type of paper, it sounds like not a doctoral thesis, obviously, but his last big thesis type work at Davidson was a essay on advancing gender equity through sports, using sports as the vehicle. Steph Curry now has a degree in sociology from Davidson, amongst his other things. And in many ways, that may be one of the things he's proudest of. Shout out to Steph Curry for that. I also say that it's interesting that we now publicly look at what he wrote that final paper or thesis on. I think I said that, and because there's no like tone aspect of Twitter, I said on Twitter thing it's interesting that we now know that about him, where it's like we saw several other football players get their degrees in the previous six weeks or so, and we didn't necessarily find that out about them. Now, not every major or course of study will have a thesis paper. Like, I did one about this boxing match between an American and a British guy, and the xenophobia, and the reporting about that, and how it was really this, like, big part of, like, politics between two countries, and how the reporting on did all that, kind of like Cold War politics, but, like, you know, 60 years earlier. But what I'm getting at there is that we don't find those kinds of things out about these athletes always, even if they do them. And I kind of think this is a trend we need to follow because it lets us know something about what they did. Like Steph Curry really did do some academic work and academic work that looked at a place in the world where we all know that he will make some sort of an impact, not just because we don't know where he's going, that's just him, he's a sports star or whatever, because he clearly cares about things like the W, because he clearly cares about things like equity, because he clearly cares about things like being an advocate. And I think that those kinds of things are important and seeing him do his academic work in the same vein is powerful now can we start to find that out about other guys that do the same type of work or bluntly can you tell me about the guys that do the opposite because i'd kind of like to know that too anyway i think my tweet the other day came out a little bit like callous like oh we're good about this stuff curry we don't hear this other. no i want to know this about other guys i'm literally asking for the same information on other guys but i digress shout steph curry gold star on the accomplishments a big big deal steph congrats in sticking with NBA basketball, we are going to go to my Houston Rockets for this one. The Houston Rockets called up Mahmoud Abdel-Fattah from the Rio Grande Valley Vipers. Now that's their G League affiliate, and Abdel-Fattah was the first ever G League or NBA head coach of Palestinian descent. He gets called up to join the staff as a couple of guys are asked to leave the staff, the Houston Rockets. But the Stephen Silas-led Rockets pull him. Abdel Fattah up off of the Vipers. Abdel Fattah would be joining the Rockets as an offensive assistant, an offensive coordinator of sorts to help out with the Stephen Silas system because Silas obviously was an offensive guy himself, but is having trouble doing the balance. I think it's good to bring an offensive-minded guy in. Worth pointing out that Abdel Fattah's Rio Grande Valley Vipers did league the G League in every type of offensive category. Points per game, points per possessions, pace, etc. The Rio Grande Valley Vipers played at the highest level on offense in the league cruise all the way to the first overall seed in the playoffs and then won the whole thing in the tournament and so it bears mentioning that this is not necessarily a guy that's going to take teams as his job but a guy that i think will have a big big impact on the team next year and again he was the first palestinian head coach in either the nba or the g league and he's making his voice now a big part of the rockets moving forward the rockets have a prompting and core that's not just me saying so go ahead and read it across the board Everyone but Bill Simmons thinks so. Now, Bill Simmons might actually think so, but everyone but Bill Simmons thinks so. And so go check it out. He's going to be a big, big part of the Rockets moving forward. Shouts to Mahmoud Adlifatah and the Houston Rockets for making this strong move in the right direction. Now, I am recording this right after the Golden State Warriors took a 3-0 lead with a big win in Game 3 in Dallas over the Mavericks. And so this feels like a moot point. But, man, I'm giving a big detention to the ref crew from Game 2 between these two 
clubs. Now, the game turned into, it felt like a hockey game, honestly, out there on the floor with guys throwing elbows, guys getting knocked down, and so on. But my biggest attention and sticking point here is, is the early tech on Draymond Green leads to him never getting teed up again, right? So Draymond Green gets teched up early for saying something to a referee they didn't like to call about. Draymond Green then says many other four-letter words over the course of the next quarter and a half over much less questionable things and is much more argumentative across the rest of the half and nothing else ever happens. His leash only got longer as the game went on and frankly, this is not the first time it's happened for Draymond Green and I get how people say, like, I'm one to say that I don't want to see star players foul out of games because I like to see star players on the floor. But that, to me, is different when these are technical fouls, right? Technical fouls are breaking up the game and, frankly, are ruining the way the game is played because it detracts from what's happening on the floor. Technical fouls are things happening that are not basketball, right? And so all these things that Draymond's doing, I think, take away from what's happening in the course of the basketball game. Frankly, you could also argue that from a Warriors standpoint, they're taking him out of the basketball game. They're taking him into a different headspace where he's no longer the same effective Draymond he is. And I think that that's also fair. But I think the deal here is that this is one of those times where I feel like a bunch of other guys would have gotten a T and a second T and a would gotten thrown out. And Draymond does not because Draymond reps not going in he's going to get a bigger leash. They anticipate what's happening. Instead of just treating him like the other basketball players, he gets the longer leash and gets treated like Draymond Green and thus does not get tossed from the basketball game. Meanwhile, as the game turns into a hockey game, you've got a double T to Davis Bertans for trying to stand up while guys are standing over him. Like That didn't make any sense to me. You also have the same ref crew in the league, I guess, as a whole, lead towards a big fine to the Dallas bench for standing up and making some sort of antics on the sidelines when we have clips of every other team, including these Golden State Warriors, including the Brooklyn Nets, including the LA Lakers, all these teams that the NBA seems to love doing much crazier antics on the sidelines. And this was, again, like the third offense for the Ma- uh, Mavericks, and thus they're paying $100,000. Now, do I feel bad about Cuban donating $100,000 to charity in the name of the NBA? No. Do I feel like that's a fair and equitable way to go about this? Also, no. This is the kind of thing where guys are on their feet cheering in a visitor's arena for a playoff game. That's something we should be excited about. That's guys getting into the game and they're cheering off the sideline. They're not running onto the floor doing all kinds of crazy things. I, I mean, there are clips of guys on the net in the playoffs this season dancing halfway across the sideline, right? Across that black line, steps them onto the floor. And it doesn't seem to matter to the NBA at that point. I don't get why this matters to the NBA with the Mavs when they're also letting Draymond Green take away from the game in the ways that he's doing it. It just seems backwards to me. It seems like we're caring about the wrong things. Detention to the referees in the NBA for the way they handled game two between the Warriors and Mavs. Last gold star of the week is going to go to Justin Thomas for rallying from seven shots back to force a playoff with Will Zalatoris. Again, that's an eight-shot deficit overall, but a seven-shot deficit to force the playoff and come back and win in the playoff. The playoff in the PGA Tournament is as fun as it gets. Obviously, the PGA Tour is a ton of fun, too, if you're watching Sundays, and we're all used to growing up and watching the Tiger Reds and those kinds of things. But, man, the forcing of a playoff and hole for hole, and those that's a really, really fun back and forth because we can identify with like the one-on-one aspect of it. And, frankly, it feels way more relatable than this idea of a guy running away from the field as we see so, so often. So shout-out to Justin Thomas for the big play there. Thomas walked away with $2.7 million for his winning. Shot of the day might have been his tee shot towards the end where it 
On 17, he wheels back and whips it up and right. It goes like 175 miles an hour, but it ends up rolling just like 30 or 40 feet shy after curving right of the of the right around this like sand traps and trees and ends up falling just what, 40 feet from the pin. Big big shot. Shout out Justin Thomas for a fun Sunday of golf. Okay, Parker. So the thesis statement for this commercial is James Harden has the best beard in sports. What do you think about that thesis statement? Oh, I give it an A. You know, as a Houston guy, we we seem to have an affinity for our beers between guys like him, Dallas Keiko, lots of big beards in the Houston area. What do you think about the thesis? So I'm a Jets fan, and I absolutely love the beard that Ryan Fitzpatrick has. So maybe I would give Ryan Fitzpatrick the nod over James Harden. But you're talking to a couple of bearded teachers, and we know a thing or two about making sure that you maintain that mane. So check out the beard struggle. The beard struggle, they make oils, they make bombs, they even have this heated comb to make sure that you get your beard straight so that you're looking fresh. I know I've really enjoyed using the oil they make for my quarantine beard of sorts. It's nice and long these days, but it helps <laughs> keep it nice and healthy and hydrated. And if you're listening to our show, you can use FN Sports 15 and get 15% off your oils, your bombs, your shampoos, conditioners, whatever you need to use to keep your beard looking healthy. Absolutely. Check out The Beard Struggle at thebeardstruggle.com. Whether you're just starting to grow or you have a luscious mane already, The Beard Struggle's got all the products that you need. The Beard Struggle. Feast your face. Friends, that's all for another edition of FN Sports. Do you feel like you're liking the Gold Star and Detention format start the week? Helps us recap the previous week and move on to the next one. We got some good feedback last time. If you want to leave me some feedback, make sure to find me on Twitter or Instagram at Painsworth512. It's P-A-I-N-S-W-R-T-H-512 on Twitter and Instagram. You can find this show, too, if you want to leave some feedback there on Instagram and Twitter. On Instagram, we're at F underscore N underscore sports. That's F underscore N underscore sports. And on Twitter, at F N sports. So it's F-I-N-S-B-O-R-T-S number two, all one word on Twitter. On both those different social media handles, you'll go to the link tree in the bio. And then you'll be able to find all of our different sponsors, including my bookie and theclutch.com for T-shirts. You can use uh, Beard Struggle to get your beard supplies, Yeti for cups, coolers, and koozies. You'll also, on the link tree, be able to find our merch store. We have different T-shirts, hoodies, and mugs for various charities. The May charity is the ALS Association. It is a Lou Gehrig themed for Lou Gehrig's disease. Lou Gehrig themed t-shirt and hoodie. All proceeds go to the ALS Association. Make sure you go grab a hoodie, support a great cause, and support the show at the same time. If you like a free way to support the show, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review, do all the wonderful things to help the podcast. We appreciate you doing a couple different platforms. And whatever you do when it comes to sports, don't flunk with us. Later, guys. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, 
prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready.